I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest is James Boardman. James was a Royal Marine who served a total of nine years during which he was deployed in Afghanistan as part of a six-man sniper team. He went to real war. James finished his career as a sergeant at the Royal Marines and spent the last four years of it developing the physical, mental, and emotional levels of recruits so that they are prepared to go to war out of training. In 2011, uh, James left the Royal Marines to pursue a family life and uh, to be present really with his two children. But he found that the first few years after leaving the Marines from a war zone back to civilization, if you want, were very unforgiving for him. He struggled uh, to come to terms with being back to normal life. And while I never approve of war, I never understand how a man would carry a gun in war against another man, I have to say that I'm fascinated by James's incredible journey through PTSD, divorce, depression, drinking, and near suicide, a journey that led him to start his first successful business, boot camp, and then later starting uh, what we are mostly going to talk about today, a business that is called The Man Coach, which has the sole purpose of helping men become elite operators in life. Uh, He aims to help men who have come to the same position as he has when leaving the military, that state of being lost, struggling to find your way, not even aware of where you are or why you are or who you are. He helps those men go through the journey the same way. In 2020, James started another new company called Time Domination, which helps business owners overcome time and energy management issues. A very realistic true story that led to experience that I think we can all benefit from. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with James Boardman. So James, I um, I want to start by a question that's very personal to me, honestly. I'm not about what you do now, but about what you did before. So you served in the Marines, you served, you actually went to the other side for nine years. Just under nine years. Can you tell me how that is? I mean, this is unthinkable for me to be in foreign land at war, being shot at, shooting at people. You were in a sniper team, I understand. Yeah. So we, when I went to Afghanistan, my only, my only experience of going to a war zone, if you like, was going to um, Afghanistan. And it was back in 2006. So... Joining the military, I think, was always something that I wanted to do as a kid. And then somewhere coming out of being a kid or a teenager, I suddenly got wrapped up in the warmth of life, 
So, you know, how chaotic life is. So there was a period where it was a forgotten dream. And I, when I was in my early 20s, I remember seeing the advert to join the Marines and I was like thrilled. I was excited and I was like, God, I was a pre, I was a lost lad. I was a lost young sort of man. And joining the military was something uh, that was initiated. It was the flame, you know, to go out and see the world and challenge myself and, and see what I could do. So we always trained into everything is, everything to do with training and everything to do with serving was always based around a war scenario so the mentality of going to war was i guess parcel as of the job right it's part of the job description like you would not expect to be a postman and not post any letters <laughs> you know so you would not expect to be a marine and not go to a foreign country to do some form of operation so when we went i guess we conditioned our mind in terms of we train hard you fight easy. And when we went over, you just adapt to the environment, you adapt to your new habitat and, you know, you've got each other there to kind of keep you going, keep you focused, support each other and get you through it right to the end. And that's, that's all you can do. By the way, I don't, I don't ever judge. I'm just judging myself. I would never go to war. I wouldn't be able to. It's not within my system at all. Have you ever thought of that person that you're fighting with as a human like you know he must have kids oh yeah yeah you do yeah you do you know it i often look at lots of i I look at a human race and we walk past thousands of people that we never really know or acknowledge we'll never see again and you never really know what somebody is going through or what their beliefs are or what their background is But at the end of the day, within our own little bubbles that we live in, we have our own families, our own life, our own way Mm -hmm. of thinking, Mm -hmm. our own belief system. So you never really know what you're going. I don't think you delve too much into it. There are occasions when you sit there and you reflect and you think to yourself, well, these are just other human beings who have their world and they probably look at us as alien, do you know? And I think, Mm. I don't think you can look into it too much because it can be all consuming. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you decided to come back because of that, because I think you were sort of seeking that human side of you, a family, being close to your daughters and so on. Yeah. So at the time um, I was married with two children and they decided that so that we we lived together in just off barracks, basically in marriage quarters. But we made the decision. Oh, wow. So they were there, too. No, 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 not in Afghanistan. So in the UK, we basically have, where we are based, houses that we live in and we live in together there. But what we had decided is for them and the kids to move home to have stability. Mm -hmm. So that meant that I was only ever going to be a weekend dad. So I could only get back at weekends, Monday to Friday with training. But sometimes if we were away for three or four weeks, I wouldn't see the kids for almost a month or two months. So... The decision to move home for me was an easy one. Well, I joined as a single guy. I left as a married guy, as a dad. My roles and responsibility had completely changed. And I lost my dad when I was six. So I knew the importance of having to come home and be around my kids every single day. And that was that was why I left. And how, how did that work? I mean, you publicly talk about that sometimes, that those years were not easy at all. No, they were very difficult. Going into the Marines, you know, I had some form of identity. Becoming a Marine had a very strong identity, 
and purpose. But leaving, I didn't know. I didn't know how to find myself. So I was lost in terms of an identity. It was an identity conflict. So coming out, I was Sergeant James Boardman. I'd spent just under nine years living a specific life. And in a click of the fingers, you leave the military Friday, you start a new job Monday, and you're suddenly thrown into that world. And um, it was very difficult to take, you know, it was very difficult mentally, emotionally. I didn't know if I was coming or going. I didn't know what direction I was going. And it was a tough three years. That's amazing hearing you say this. I mean, everyone in the world will think that living as a Marine is, you know, you're in danger, you can be drafted anytime. If you're drafted, you're in war. And yet you go back to the other world where you have wife and kids at home, you can go to work in the morning and you find that to be the difficult side. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? But it's because you become so accustomed to a way of life, a way of living. So the way that I see our minds working is that we very much condition ourselves to live a particular life. Like the way that you live your life now is very conditioned. You know, you have your routines, you you have your standards, you have your character, your values, your principles, you have your routines and your way of living. And that's in theory what I had. And because it was such an extreme level in the military, suddenly when you come back, you're like, what is my purpose then? What now? Where do I go from here? And questions you keep asking yourself. And it's almost like Jacqueline Hyde. So you're turning from the human to the beast. And that's literally how my personality was. One minute I was like Jackal, next minute I was like Hyde, and I was like dipping in and out of these personalities. It all came about in the end when I thought about ending my own life. You know, I was sitting there and I was going Did through you? the whole oh procedure. Yeah, yeah. But it was just, you know, I was using alcohol to hide a lot of the pain, a lot of, I was burying my head in the sand. I was preparing to do, have an overdose and, you know, I managed to snap myself out of that to have a huge, if you like, defibrillator moment where it brings you back to life. You know, you're suddenly like, wow, that was close. Now it's time to sort myself out. In your case, James, it was the extreme, but I don't think this is different for any of us. I mean, in an interesting way, we're all hiding. When you were talking now and talking about my current way of life is conditioned, yeah, I mean, I had an immense wake-up call when COVID stopped me traveling because before that, I traveled three to three to four weeks of every five weeks of my life. And, you know, travel to me was like, yes, so what? It's, you know, instead of sitting in a, a chair in a theater, you're sitting in a chair in the air and who cares, right? It's just part of life, right? It's, you know, part of, part of going to work is to get on an airplane. And suddenly you get that moment where you say, oh my God, there is another way of living. I've never realized that you could actually wake up two weeks in a row in the same city. So that conditioning is part of all of us, right? It is. And I think it's more uh, through the COVID era and for many people, that transition is a really interesting point because many people would have transitioned, even close friends of mine who conditioned themselves to getting up at five, leaving for London at half five, coming home by eight o'clock, Monday to Friday, lived that, and then all of a sudden now they're home and a year and a half has now passed have they got to get used to going back to London? Are we going to be working from, like, you know, he's now in the last year and a half conditioned himself to live at home, see the children all of the time. Something that he hasn't been able to do for 18 years. He's been traveling to London for 18 years and now he's at home all the time. 
So how much pressure is that going to put on him if they suddenly say, we need you to come back full time? That's an incredible topic. And nobody's discussing this at all, by the way. I mean, you know, sadly, as much as I as I hate to say it, but being also a business executive myself, the conversations happening inside my company are all about when are we going to get back and bring everybody in and, you know, have people drive in every morning or commute in every morning. And I'm like, why would we ever do that to them? Haven't we proven that we can do this differently and more friendly to family life, more friendly to to the planet, more friendly to time and everything. It's really quite interesting. Your model, your model starts with that idea, with the idea of self-awareness, right? You're basically, for people to know, and we're going to talk about this in detail, but the rest of your story is that it took you a while to snap out of that depression, if you want. You stopped and you didn't you didn't decide to take your own life. And then you went into not only saving your life, but saving the lives of others. And most of your work is really trying to tell people, don't fall where I fell. Is that the case? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think as I've progressed through life, I feel like I've got quite a bit of experience. I feel like, you know, I've learned an awful lot about myself. And I think I've been there and I've been in the trenches and, you know, dragged my knuckles across the floor and been through it. And I, and I kind of feel like I document, like I don't look at myself as necessarily like a lot of business or coaches do as an expert. I just look at myself as a, I'm documenting my journey with all of the other men. This is what I'm doing. This is how I'm doing it. This is what I thought. These are situations I've been in. I'm just trying to raise the self-awareness. For me, the cost of entry to, to change is like, at the door, the admission is, is a huge self-awareness. It's the insight into what is going on in your life. <laughs> when you can start dissecting that, when you can start opening up and, and not bury your head in the sand and not hide behind the bottle or not hide behind the drugs or the affairs or the gambling, when you can come up for air, accept yourself, look in the mirror and you have that conversation with yourself and you turn around and go, this is where you're at. Like, let's not put any like fudge on this 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 is exactly where you're at you are you are exactly where you are right now and you have to accept it and if you don't accept it you'll never change and you have to take responsibility for the position that you're in because you're in that position purely through your own fault and you can blame the world you can blame the external world you can blame other people but we are all responsible for our own actions emotionally mentally physically the way we react to things, the way we change things, the way we implement things, it's all on us. So we have to accept that. There has to be acceptance. If you don't accept, you won't move on. But it's not that easy. I mean, so you call it the self-audit, right? It's like a, it's almost like a, a finance rigor. You, you really have to sit down and you go through the reality of everything, you know, your health, your nutrition, your work, whatever it is that's making your life right now. And I do that very, very regularly. As a matter of fact, I have daily meetings with myself where I go like, is what you're telling yourself really true? Is this your actual perception of life or are you lying to yourself? But you have a, you have a method, right? You have a method. Can you share a little bit about what is the self-audit? When I look at life, I look at life is chaotic. And if you think about like a four-year-old and if they had a pencil and a paper, they would just scribble all over that paper usually, right? So they'd be like this huge mess. That's how I visualize 
everyday life is like chaos. <laughs> it's just this big pile of like mess on, on there. <laughs> That's now, <so> true. <laughs> what we have to do is find some element of structure in and amongst that chaos. So if we think about that chaos. So what we have to try and do, and the way that I think about this is putting a rectangle it right in the middle of that chaos. So where that kid has drawn that picture, you draw this huge rectangle. And on each corner, there are four different pillars to hold up that rectangle. And in that rectangle is your structure. That's what keeps you separate from all of the chaos. Now, when you're in there, you're safe, you're controlled, you're consistent, you have clarity. Now, those four corners are health, relationships, personal development, and business slash career. Okay. That for me contributes to the majority of our life and all the factors that are in our life. Say them again. Health, relationships? Yeah, health, relationships, personal development, and your business or your career. What we want to do is when we first start this, when we're trying to find that acceptance and where we are, what we're trying to do is get an, an idea, a true reflection of where we are. Now, when you think about audits, you think about companies or schools that audit their organizations to get a good idea about how they're performing. That's all we're really doing, though, for ourselves, right? We're just seeing how we are performing. Now, there's a couple of things that we really have to nail, and that is, number one, honesty. We have to allow our ego to put our ego behind. We have to be neutral in our emotions. So if you do this audit after you've had a bad day, it's naturally going to be negative. And I'll talk about how you can get over that in a second. So what we do is we score ourselves at a 10 in each of those pillars, okay? Think about those rectangles. Now, 10 is like you're nailing it. Zero is there's nothing. And what we don't do is we don't score ourselves seven. Seven is out of the equation because seven is too easy just to I just put seven. And I also <laughs> lose seven because there is a difference between the way that you will perform in life as a six and an eight, Now, what we call the eight to 10 is the elite operator zone and everywhere else below is still trying to reach our target. So if you're zero to six, you're still trying to work on it. If you're eight to 10, it means that you are having breakthroughs. So as soon as you start scoring yourself and you jump from a six to an eight, you then start to see some difference in the way that you act, think, speak, decision-making, all of those things. Now, I have a rule that you are never allowed to score yourself 10. And you'll be like, oh my God, give me a break here. But if you end up scoring a 10, it means you've reached your peak and that level of conditioning in that particular place. So when you hit that 10, it's now time to up the standard. It's now time to set new goals. It's now time to come at it at a different angle. And when we do that, we put ourselves under a little bit more pressure to perform but we're raising our game. So naturally, your score is going to go down. So if you think about a stairs, a set of stairs, when you get to the very next set of steps and you go to the next one, you've got to go straight back down to that grade. Or even a better analogy is martial arts. So I do jiu-jitsu. We start with the white belt. When you first start jiu-jitsu, you are that white belt, okay? And you're like, you're new. Like everyone is just like choking you out and smashing you into the ground. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> and if you were scoring yourself, you'd be like a one or two out of jiu-jitsu. After a year, you would be the most proficient white belt probably in the club. So you would be eight or nine, okay? You're ready for promotion. And what ends up happening is you lose your white belt. The blue belt then comes in. 
So we're going up another level, new expectations, new level of conditioning, new skill sets. And then suddenly, as a blue belt, you're back down to two or three. Does that make sense? So we're up to the top, next level. So that's how we score. And what you do is you do this audit. You do the audit again the next day, once you've had time to reflect. Then you wait five days and you do the audit again. All right, so you've got it all out of your system. Now, the, the one that you end up doing by the end of the week is probably your most truest reflection of where you are. And you base it pretty much on the last six to 12 months of your life. Okay. And how you've been running your life. So it takes some reflection. It takes some honesty. It takes some thought provoking mindset to really delve into how you, how you've been performing. Yeah. And and suddenly now you have a view of what it is that you, you need to work on, what it is that you, you know, you're doing well on, but by raising the level, you're saying almost that everyone will always have something to work on in the four corners. hundred percent. That's interesting. When you have this rectangle, so when you first start, that rectangle was quite small, right? So there's a lot of chaos, but at the very start, it's a very small structure. But as you work on yourself and you build on yourself, that structure becomes bigger, 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 bigger. And slowly, all of that chaos disperses because that's getting bigger. That means you're getting more control in your life, right? And the longer you work on yourself, the less the chaos gets through. It's almost like a force field. You know, the longer we work on ourselves, the harder it is for that chaos to get into our lives. So why is the assumption that we have to constantly be better? Is there a point where we're good enough? Oh, yeah, 100%. I truly believe that maintenance is as big a win as progression. I truly believe that once we've made super breakthroughs and milestones, that actually progression is maintenance. Because if you, if you look back at where your life was, if I look back at my life six years ago, if I didn't maintain my structure, my discipline, my, my path, the alternative is going back to that place after six, six years, six years ago. So in theory, that would, I would be losing there. But so I am winning by just doing my daily stuff here. Like progression is showing up every single day, 1% a day, micro wins, micro wins. That is maintenance and it is progression for me. It's actually harder because the smaller the wins, the more the reward that you get for your hard work is not felt. It's just, you know what? I did my exercise today. It doesn't look like I've made a massive difference in losing that belly or if gaining those muscles, but I still will do my exercise tomorrow because I'm actually motivated to constantly have those small wins. Two of those seem to be within our control and two seem to be not. What's that? What on the pillars? Yeah. So health is not entirely up to us, right? So if you catch COVID, of course, to be fit, fitness is within our control 100%, I believe, unless we're unable to exercise. But but health, you know. The way that I view health is see three, three categories, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Oh, let's jump in there. Okay. So I, like, I truly believe you have full control. Like you, so when it comes to health, you have to kind of think about how are you doing mentally? What are you doing mentally to keep yourself in tune with yourself? So like morning routines, rituals, gratitude, podcasts, following positive people, being around positive people, emotional conditioning. What are our levels of control? What are our levels of focus? How do we handle stressful situations? And the more control that we have in our life by following certain systems, rituals, routines and structure, the more we have in our control cups. So the more we don't lash out 
when somebody cuts us up, the more we don't lash out when somebody challenges us, the more we can accept personal criticism and faults of ourselves. And the physical side is just keeping yourself active and healthy. You can never stop yourself getting COVID or getting the flu or getting a cold or having a sore throat or having hate. Like those elements, you can't. But what you can control is putting your body in the best position to be able to deal with COVID or to deal with colds or to deal with flus. You know, the healthier you are, the less chance that these things will have a major effect. Yeah. And that's through what? Exercise and, you know, nutrition. Walking, swimming. That's the physical side. And the mental emotional comes from the physical side as well. But it also comes from recognizing yourself enough, right? So I am the biggest advocate of that idea of emotional and mental health. I, I think people, you know how people say you are what you eat. I also think it, you are what you watch on TV. You are what you listen to and you know by your friends. Yeah? And, yeah. and so many people poison themselves constantly with crap, like literally absolute crap. And, and you're saying not only should you not have the crap, but you should also have the the good stuff, you know, gratitude is good for you. Like, you know, do a bit more of that. Gratitude is the, is the key to not feeling sorry for yourself, to avoiding the victim mentality. Oh, woe is me. You know, it's like everyone else has got a great life but me. When you connect with gratitude, when you understand the things that you have in your life, it's like when somebody says to me, oh, my life's, you know, I've had a really bad day. And I'm like, dude, Go and ask the people in Africa how they're doing in their day. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. wake up and, and kind of start thinking about what you do have in front of you. And people forget these things. Absolutely. I, al I always say, look, I'm, I have a friend of mine that I want you to go and tell your problems to. He's a homeless person sleeping on the street in January in one of the big cities in the world. And, you know, I just want you to sit next to them and tell them how horrible your experience of life is. And most people go like, what do you mean? And I'm like, sit next to a homeless person in the cold winter of New York and tell he them that, to you, mate. <laughs> tell them that your life is so horrible because your boss is annoying. Like what, <laughs> what are we talking about here? Right? He really wants to listen to you. <laughs> exactly about problems. But we forget yeah. that, you know, you look at people that are blind, you look at people that have lost legs or arms, Don't forget, like gratitude connects you. Like for me, it connects me. Like every single day, I'm grateful to be able to live in a place that is not war-ridden, you know, that is in a nice neighborhood. We work very hard to get to where we are, but I'm grateful for it every single day. And I just think a lot of people forget that. Because I know you have to run because you're holding a very big coaching session later today. I want to continue through the model quickly because I think that it comes together really nicely. We started with awareness. We said pillar one is awareness. Pillar two is health. And I love the idea of health being three categories, physical, mental, and emotional. Then you talk about what I would consider probably the most complex problem in life. You say that third pillar is like personal development. Uh -huh. So talk about that. What does that mean? So I think whenever I always kind of look at our, we as humans are the assets of our life. We're like a Swiss army knife. And some people just have one tool on it. <laughs> Other people have 15 tools on it. And I always look at personal development as a great opportunity to continuously learn somehow, some way. Now, when we finish education in the UK, you go to secondary school, 
And I think you have to go to college now. So you come out of college, you stop learning, and you just go into the system. You just fall into the system of working, right? And then you never work on yourself again. You just, you just stop developing. Or you go to uni and you do the same. But what's the, what are the opportunities to improve the, what, what we do and the way that we think on our outlook on life? I'm currently learning sign language. So I'm learning, like, I want to learn how to do sign language while I'm talking. I find it fascinating. That language is fascinating. So why would you not want to learn it? And this is what I'm trying to teach guys is say, look, why wouldn't you go and learn Spanish? Like, why wouldn't you go and learn French? Why don't you learn more about other people by listening to their autobiographies? Why don't you follow your passion of becoming an artist? Why don't you build on your side hustle that you're desperately trying to do? Because life is busy, they're going to say. 100%. But that's why we factor it in within the pillars. But that's where we, we consciously change the way that we're doing. So people will always say to me, I feel dead inside. I've got no passion in life. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. All I seem to do is work, eat, sleep, repeat. And I would challenge and say, stop your moaning. Look, what can you achieve in the next 12 <laughs> weeks, okay, that you could change the whole outlook? Like, There's 168 hours in one week. And I would challenge anybody if they spent a minimum, a minimum of three 20-minute sessions on personal development. If I spent one hour, one hour a week on sign language for the next 12 weeks, I'm going to put together some sort of sentence that's going to make me feel like, wow, I can communicate with someone. And a scenario might come around one day when there's a little girl that needs help or there's a guy that needs help or somebody might need help and they're deaf and they can't and they can only use sign language. And I can then suddenly bring this out of my tool bag and go, boom. And that could be an incredible situation to have. Not only for us, but it shows to our children, never stop learning, never stop embracing knowledge, never stop building wisdom because it gives you passion and drive and energy for life, right? Rather than just coming home, watching Netflix for four hours, living in a virtual reality world, Let's start doing stuff for ourselves. I think that's important. Amen. I, sometimes I speak publicly about careers and, you know, I had a very successful career myself and people will ask me and say, so what are your secrets? And I say, one of my biggest ever secrets was when I graduated university, you know, being a young man, athletic, you know, I had my, my wonderful college sweetheart in my life, but still wanted to look amazing and so on. I told myself I will spend an hour a day, just like going to the gym, I'll spend an hour a day learning something. You know, at the beginning it was books, right? Then it became YouTube videos and audio books and whatever, right? And you have to understand 30 years later, I have 10,000 hours of learning, right? That's a massive difference between me and anyone else. And people don't realize that. People don't realize, I love your idea of it's 168 hours. Don't lie to me. Don't tell me that you can't save an hour of the 168. Seriously, like do something that you take charge of your life with. But also personal development is sometimes tricky, right? So knowledge is not the only side of personal development. Would you agree? I mean, there are emotional development topics or skills or whatever. I mean, it's not just reading and knowledge. But you could be doing a degree. You could learn to do a degree. You could do anything you want. Like literally, I was thinking about this this morning. The world is your oyster. Like literally, you could do anything you want. You could build up your emotional levels. You could build up your mental conditioning. Every time you take a Every single day, that's 10 minutes a day 
That's 70 minutes a week. Every time you're on the toilet, you can literally watch a video on YouTube that teaches you something. <laughs> like whenever I go to the toilet, I put my phone on the sink. So I learn four new hand signals a week. But it's using that time. 10 minutes before I was here with you, I was literally just practicing. And it's like, what can you do in, in amongst these pockets of time? People waste time. Totally. Absolutely. It really is about that. I mean, most people will think that when I wrote my first book, for example, how did I write it? By making sure that the half an hour I had between two meetings when I was at Google X at the time, that half an hour, instead of chatting in the corridors or just walking to get a coffee, I'd actually sit down and write, right? And it's just all of that collection of wasted time that we yes. swipe on Instagram. And that's such an amazing advice. Let's keep going. So after personal development, the fourth pillar would be? Your career. Okay. Business. Work which is the, probably the biggest killer for most because most are feel obligated to their job and their work and most people are crumbling under the pressures of work. I think work becomes the entire life of everyone, right? Yeah, you might have heard the saying. So for me, there are two sayings. There's, I base it around a business because I'm a business owner, but you could even use the word career slash business. Now you are either basing your life around your business or basing your life around your career. Or you are basing your business slash career around your life. Now, they are two very different scenarios with two different very ways of living. Now, for me, living life on my terms is my version of success. So when I live life on my terms, this is when I start. This is when I finish. This is how I live my life. My business will fit around that. So that's my mentality. What a lot of people do is go, well, you know, I'm going to squeeze what life I can have around my work. I can't change my job. I can't change my career. And people will say, well, it's all right for you. You work for yourself. And I was like, I didn't always used to work for myself. I made the changes. I created the ripple effects that changed my path to live the life that I want to live. I had that vision and made the changes. Anyone that is in a career can change their career immediately they don't have to quit their job and say right balls to it i'm quitting i'm changing my life you could do this over a process of six to 12 months it's not about where you could be in four days in four weeks and four months it's where your life can be in the next four or five years so you can even get to four or five years and your life hasn't changed you're more miserable you're bigger than ever you've got a chip on your shoulder or you could be in five years look back and say i remember the pinnacle moment I remember when I started the process of looking to do something that I love, having a job that I feel passionate about. Work is like a prison sentence. We work from 20 to 60, so it's like a 40-year period that we spend our time in. And <laughs> most, people will spend, most people will spend that 40 years miserable in a job that they feel that they cannot change, living a life that they can't afford. Yeah, and yet they accept it because they don't want to put in the effort to change, to challenge themselves to change. There's elements of fear as well. And it's just they are missing the confidence to change, which is where I show people that they can do it. You know, I've got people in my mastermind who are changing careers. It's rife in the mastermind. People are changing their lives because they're sick and tired of making do, of being stuck in that same position. 
That's incredibly important, incredibly empowering, I think. Okay, I, I want to go to the last pillar relationships. I love that. But I want to ask you a question first. Why did you dedicate your teaching to men? I mean, in reality, all that we're talking about here applies to women as well. 100%. <laughs> so when I worked, my very first business was a boot camp. Ah. So it's 85% women. And let me tell you the main reason first. The main reason first was because I wanted to help people that were going through what I went through as a man. And I feel like there's not enough support for men. I don't feel like there's enough totally people agree. encouraging men, picking men up, allowing men to be the person that they want to be, showing vulnerability, dropping the ego, showing insecurities. And I felt like the vision always was when I started, I wanted to be that inspiration or that role model to men to live the lives that they want to live. So that's where the passion was. When I worked with men in the military, I had really good rapport with men. I have a really good connection with men. My personality suits men probably more. I get tons of emails and tons of messages from women asking me to do something for women. But you know, this is where that management of my time and my energy and my balance comes in. I can't do that. I run three companies. I run one for online business owners, men and women to help them be effective in their business. And I run the man coach, helping men become elite operators in their life. And I can't do it. You simply just can't do it all. And when I was in the boot camp with women, I, I found it really difficult to connect with women, with the personality that I have, with the language that I use. And I think maybe I overthought it at the time, but I think some women would be more offended with the way that I am. I don't think that now. I don't think that now. I thought that four years ago. A lot of women like my straight talking. And I've got loads of women followers. Loads. Mm -hmm. I have to admire your ability to be so clear about your own awareness, right? In reality, I think most of my, my women listeners will find value in this. As a matter of fact, they'll find value for themselves, not just for the men in their lives. But I think the, the truth of you saying, look, I'm a military guy, I'm a straight talker, I push people, I expect certain directness in the conversation. That's my style. And I don't want to change that to teach some, you know, some of what I know to women. And that's a choice. And I think that's really, really an interesting way of really positioning what you want in life. Because as you rightly said, success is to live life on your terms, not to just live life on the terms of what the world wants us to be. So I'm guessing that makes relationships difficult. Do you think that's the case no, as well? No, not at all. So let, let me explain relationships. So very much like health, there are sub-layers. So there are different relationships. Now, the first relationship that is the most important is the relationship with yourself. With I love that. The way that you see yourself with this self-respect that you have for yourself, with the self-confidence, self-belief, the integrity. And I think before you can build relationships with anybody else in the world, you have to make sure that you love yourself. And I don't mean in that arrogant way. I mean acceptance for who you are and that takes time that takes time and bravery and courage and then the next part of the relationship is the relationship that you have with the people that you love the most so your partners your children the levels of communication and understanding with your wife is essential because men don't even tell their wives what they're going through so when men are telling me and, and outpouring what they're going through i'm like have you told your wife no and like, why haven't you told your best friend? Like, eyes, our partners are our best friends in the world. Go away and tell them. And then suddenly they start to feel better because they've got support in the house. 
Instead of their wife thinking, oh my God, my husband's just such a nightmare. He's such a misery. He just doesn't do anything. I'm sick of being around him. He brings the mood that she doesn't understand what's going on in his head. So of course he looks like that's what she, she doesn't know because there's miscommunication, misunderstanding. Why do men not communicate that way? Is it because we're taught to be strong? Some may have been taught. Some may have just naturally enclosed themselves through fear of judgment, fear mm. of rejection, fear of standing out. I don't care what I come across as. I'm just documenting this. If somebody turned around to me and said, you're weak for being vulnerable, <laughs> or we need to know what to say, I would probably laugh. You know, being vulnerable is one of the biggest strengths you can never have as a man. Allowing yourself to drop your masculinity, you're not dropping masculinity just because you're vulnerable. There is this male ego, masculinity expectation that the world has of men. And it's like, just drop it. Just drop your ego and be you. Mm, I love this, James. I love this. And do you think the woman, the woman also has a role? I mean, I'm actually talking to, because the majority of my listeners are women as well. So maybe go to your man and ask and say, you don't seem to be sharing enough with me. I mean, like, is there something going on? I'd love to listen and don't judge, by the way, because there is a lot of crap going on in there. There is a ton of stuff that needs to be processed. I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, your wife is somebody that will probably know you better than anyone. So if you can see that something isn't right, it's a case like, you know, my partner knows me inside out and she knows when something's on my mind. She knows when I'm distracted. So like, we have a great relationship in that respect. It's like, you're right? Is everything all right? And I will always go, I'm all right. That's the typical man response, by the way, <laughs> that yeah. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right. But really that man isn't all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I do think communication and understanding is essential to making relationships work. Yeah. So you said first relationship it was yourself. Second is with people that you love anymore. So there's two more, and I think these naturally fall into place once you've got those first two worked out, and that's your colleagues, i.e. work colleagues, and your friends. So I feel that when you understand yourself better, I feel that then when you have those relationships under control that are close to you, you naturally are able to understand yourself more and your emotional state and your self-awareness when it comes to work colleagues, when it comes to friends. Who is a friend? Who actually is a friend or who just wants to keep putting you down so that they feel better about themselves? Hmm. Who at work are the toxics, are the negatives? Who do we need to stay away from? And when you connect with yourself more, you recognize and handle those situations much better. I love everything we spoke about. Man to man, I absolutely get everything that you're saying. I think it's absolutely spot on. If you're a woman listening to this, help your man out, please. Actually get him to listen to it. James, you're wonderful. I know you have to rush and I'm really grateful for your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. I agree. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. It's lovely to talk to you. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, I never really understand war. I don't understand what would make a man go out there to kill another man. I have to say it fascinates me that being out there in this harsh, inhumane environment was not what got to James. What beat him was coming back here when unprepared. I admire the idea of being able to know your own 
limits and focusing on training men, he was so open and so vulnerable about why he chose to do that. And in so many ways, if we suspend our judgment, you will find in every human an amazing, amazing experience that can be eye-opening for so many of us. I hope you enjoyed this and learned from it as much as I did. And I hope that you keep coming back, listening to more slow-mo. I hope that you tell me what you think about what we're doing, how we can change it and improve it. And I truly, truly hope that you find in slow-mo an opportunity to really reflect and get out of the day-to-day life and look at your own opportunities and the challenges that you face in your very own life differently. Remember to spread the word. Please tell others. Make us go to as many people as you can and do rate the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. I am very, very grateful for the opportunity that you give me to meet so many people from so many diverse walks of life. And I hope you continue to find the opportunity to take time out of your day and come join us. Remember that uh, regardless how busy you are today, there's always, always, always an opportunity and a chance for you to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.